Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. The model church. Do you think we're the model church? Hmm. There is a church we can look at that we can model ourselves after, okay? And it's the church of Thessalonica. So when you open your Bibles in the New Testament, there is a letter to the Thessalonians that Paul had visited only for a month. All the way from Jerusalem, he went to Greece. That's, by the way, where my grandpa's from. He is from Athens, Greece. And so he traveled from Jerusalem over there with the good news of Jesus Christ. And for only one month, he was there, and he had to get out of town because he mentioned the name of, how dare he mention the name of, what's that name? Jesus. And boy, he had to hightail it out of town because he mentioned that name. Isn't amazing how Jesus' name will divide people. So we're talking about this model church. We covered chapter 1, which talked about a, a, a type of people that are godly and influential in this church. How do we know that? Because when we studied chapter 1, after only being there one month, we figured out all of Greece had heard about this church and they've heard about the name of Jesus in such a small period of time. So we know in a model church, it's made up of influential, godly people who are spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. In the second chapter, we also learn that every model church has to have influential, godly leaders in order to have a type of church that people want to model after. We don't want corrupt leaders. We want godly leaders. And so we studied that in chapter 2. And then last week, we talked about a church that literally cares. Many of you who come into this church, and if this is your first time coming here, you must understand that we care for you. And as has already been said, if I meet you in the back for the first time, I'm going to invite myself over to your house for, yes, you guessed it, F-O-O-D, food. Some of you have not taken me up on that offer. I'm still waiting to visit your house. It is so wonderful to get to know you. I'm like the old doctor that used to make house calls. I love getting in your business. I mean, I love visiting you. <laughs> I, I love visiting. Because therefore, I can come up here and preach and tell them all what I heard in your home. And some of you swear that I was in your home, in your bedroom, some of the sermons Jacob and I preached. You said that. Well, that's really the Holy Spirit. But we are a caring church. You're not just another number. And even if you're visiting us online this morning, let's make sure that we have a record of your visit. Tell us where you're from, and we will get some spiritual food to you. This, this morning's message is on the model church's walk. You have to have a walk to imitate. Now, it's easy to walk in the ways of the world. No instructions 
are needed. No manual is needed. Just follow everyone else. Listen to what most people talk about, what the teachers teach, how politicians act, how parents live, do what athletes do, and you'll well be on your way to becoming a worldly person. A model walk is just the opposite of that. You see, that's where that expression comes from. Monkey see, monkey do. That's what everyone's doing. It's easy to have that type of walk. But the Thessalonians, after one month, of course, it had been some time now between when Paul visited there and when he actually sent Timothy to get a report how they were doing. It was quite a, uh, about, a about a half a year, a year had uh, taken place and he had heard all about their walk with God. Now, I want to pick up in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. And by the way, I want to get used to holding on to this Bible. I use a computer all the time. I have about 15 Bibles on there. But it's just nice to hug and hold this Bible. I remember coming, uh, committing some major sins in my life when I first got saved. And I remember going to bed and just hugging this Bible. It was like it was a medicine. It was like a, a drug to me. Wow, thank you, God, for your word and all the things that you've written in it. All the forgiveness that you offer, all the grace that you offer. I love his word. Mm. Well, in Timothy, he talks about that, uh, well, he told Timothy, go to Thessalonica and give me report. So we pick up in chapter 3 in verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. So Paul wanted to hear about their walk. He sent Timothy to inquire about that walk. He comes back with a report about their walk with God. And then he continues in verse 11. Paul reminds us and them of how much he cared for them. He said, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So one of the reasons he wrote this letter is, yes, they were the model church, but he needed to plug some holes in their faith. It would be like sending your kid to school and they learned, adding and subtracting. But now they need to learn some more things about math, right? They need to learn multiplication and division. Paul knew he needed to teach them some more things about their walk with God. He was excited to do that, and we're going to discuss that in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Now, let's pick up in the little prayer that he prays about three times in this letter to them. He stops, and, and he prays for them, and here's how he prayed. May now our God, in verse 11, and Father himself, and our Lord Jesus Clear the way for us to come to you. You see, Satan had hindered him from coming to them. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. By the way, 
you're going to see him say this more than a few times that he wants them to love each other more and more. He wants them to learn more and more. Nothing wrong with you wanting your children to grow and learn more and more about school and about God. He says this repeatedly. Verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy angels. He talks about the second coming of God almost in each chapter. He elaborates on it in chapter 5. And then in 2 Thessalonians, the second letter he sends to them, he talks much about the second coming. He encourages them what to expect. Okay, that's in the past. Now we're moving forward this morning, and we're going to look at this church's walk. The first thing you'll notice as we begin reading verse 1 through 4 is he wants them to walk in holiness. We're going to unpackage that this morning. Let's look at verse 1 through 4 in chapter 4 of Thessalonians. Finally, brothers... We instructed you how to live, in some of your translations, it will be walk. That's why I chose the title of this message, the model church's walk, or you can put how to live in order to please God, as in fact, you are living, in other words, they're already doing it, but he still wants to encourage them the more. We, we all need encouragement to continue doing whatever it is that we're doing positively. He goes on to say, for you know, in verse 2, that what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's instructing them again in the things of God. And then in verse 3, it is God's will that we should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That's going to be the key instruction that he is going to give them in chapter 4. It's not the only way to walk with God, but it is going to be a way to walk with God and show that you're walking with God by avoiding sexual immorality. That each one of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy, honorable, not in passionate lust. Thus, the first point this morning as we look at the Word of God. Walk in holiness. And I want to go back to verse 1 again. Notice, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Now, I want to start there this morning because if you don't have a desire to please God, the instructions that follow you will not like and you will rebel against them just like you did when you were lost or you try to tell your friend who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior something about these spiritual things. They, they don't want to hear it because they're convicted of it. And so I wonder this morning as I think about when you walk out of this place this morning, do you desire to have a godly walk? And where is your please meter with God. On a scale 1 to 10, think about that meter. Where is your please meter for God? How much do you truly, truly want to please God? Do you desire to please Him 
and follow him. You know, everybody lives to please somebody. Many people live to please themselves. You guessed it. They have no sensitivity to the needs of others. Even Paul, when he addressed these Thessalonians, when he visited them, they were totally in pagan cults. Talk about witchcraft. They were involved in orgies, going to church and actually having orgies. They had a thousand temple prostitutes to the, to the prophetess or to the goddess um, Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And they actually believed by engaging in immorality that it somehow gave them spiritual divine strength in favor with this goddess. That's what these Thessalonians came out of. And Paul is addressing them. Now, when he came there, he reminded them he didn't come to please people. Again, if you're trying to please people, then don't mention Jesus at work. Don't mention Jesus in your home. When you gather for Thanksgiving around the heathen, don't mention Jesus at all. You see, that means you want to be a people pleaser at all costs. When you know that your family and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers are dying and go to hell, you escaped hell and you won't say a word about Jesus. Hmm. Do you want to have a godly walk? Where, where is your please meter? Paul tells them I, in, in Galatians 1.10, just jot that down. You won't have that on the screen. He said, obviously, when he visited the Galatians, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant because all it does is cause problems for me. He wrote in this book, 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, verse 4, the same thing. When he visited them, he didn't expect anything from them. He said, we're always spreading the good news. God trusts us to do this because we pass his test. We don't try to please people, but God who tests our motives. Pleasing God ought to be the major motive of every Christian here this morning or listening in this morning. Just like children should live to please their father. By the way, the Holy Spirit in you, you may not know this verse. You need to jot it down. Philippians 2, 13. The Bible teaches us it's the Holy Spirit that's at work in you, causing you to hunger and thirst after God. It is the Holy Spirit causing you to want to please God. It doesn't even come from you. Is the Holy Spirit at work in you, causing you, wanting you, the desire to please God? You remember Enoch? There's only two people, in the, uh, two people that we know of that never died a natural death in the Bible. Most of us Bible students know who they are. Some don't know who they are. So for those who don't know who those two individuals are, Enoch is one of them. Anybody remember the other one? Elijah. Okay, we got a good, some good Bible students here. Enoch, the Bible said, he walked with God and he pleased God and he was no more. Wow. Wouldn't you like to please God that much that you wouldn't have to die a natural death and you'd be taken up in a chariot into heaven? 
Wow. Do you live to please God? Jesus, when he came to earth, he said this in John 8, 29. I do always those things that please him. And when he meant always, he meant always. Even we who love God don't always please him. You know, the Bible teaches us pleasing God means more than simply doing God's will. Did you know this? It is possible for you as a believer to obey God but not please him. Did you know that's possible? To obey God. Okay, I'm going to obey you, God, but not please him. Do you know there is a character in the Bible that did that, that just stands out like a sore thumb? His name, Jonah. Jonah and the big fish that swallowed him up. God told him to go preach to the Russians. God told him to go preach to the Chinese Wuhan people that put a curse on our nation. I don't want to do that. I can't stand those Chinese and all the people that lied about it. And those Russians, oh, all they, they, you know, I've been hearing about is Russians, Russians for the last eight years. You want me to go preach to them and tell them about Jesus? No, I don't want to. Yes, I'm sending you. So, okay, God, I'm going. Stomping your feet. It reminds me of that child when the daddy said, I told you to sit down. You've been disobeying your mom. Wouldn't sit down. I told you to sit down, son. You've been disobeying your mom. You're going to sit down in that corner for two hours. Finally, the son sat down. He said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that's how many people are with God. I'm going to obey you, God, because I know you're tough and big and I can't defeat you. I'm going to do it. And that's what Jonah did. So he went to Nineveh where God told him to go preach to these people that were the arch enemies of all the Jewish people. And he went and preached. He said, man, God's bringing a whammy on you. He's going to destroy you, almost like Sodom and Gomorrah. He couldn't wait to see the bonfire, like some of us would like to see some of our enemies destroyed. He waited and waited. No smoke. They repented of their sins. He was mad and angry at God. Even though he obeyed God, God could not bless him. So I pray that you would repent of the things that you say, okay, God, th this is what you want me to do, but okay, I'll do it. But there's no joy in pleasing God. Where is your please meter on wanting to please God on a scale 1 to 10 this morning? Do you really desire to please him? Can I give an illustration? I, when I try to understand spiritual truths, I, I love Jesus when he uses parables to help us understand spiritual truths. He uses earthly illustrations to help us with those spiritual truths. When I think of pleasing, I, I think of wanting to please my wife. By the way, where is your please meter on wanting to love your spouse? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best, where is it? <laughs> yeah, some of you are laughing because it's not, it's, 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 hey, how about kids? How much do you want to please mom and dad with all those orders they give you? Where is your please meter number? Where is it at? I know I talked to my wife about this a lot in the last few weeks. We've talked about it just yesterday, the day before. 
I said, honey, I really, truly want to please you more. We've been married 40 years. You would think we'd get tired of each other. You would think we're getting old and wrinkly. And we wouldn't want to really, really please each other, right? Move on to bigger and better things. Like, you know, playing sports all the time. You know, why would I want to go home to an old lady? That's, that's what people say, right? Old lady. Or, you know, and around the workplace, they say some other things that I can't use in the pulpit. Honestly, no preacher talk. I honestly desire to want to please my wife more than I ever have in my entire life. And wish this attitude that I had now, I wish I would have had it back then. But can I say to you, can I say to you that I wonder, and, and knowing so many people in our struggles, do you really desire to please your spouse? Where is that please meter on one? Well, he doesn't deserve it or she doesn't. Wait a minute. When Jesus hung there on the cross, we didn't deserve anything. He said, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Bunch of idiots down there. I'm dying for her. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he said that, but that was me, you know, paraphrasing something. I might, sometimes I, when I paraphrase, I get things wrong a little bit, but I mean... So sometimes you'll say to your, he doesn't deserve it or she doesn't deserve it. it. It doesn't matter. Want to please your spouse. Boy, that might change a lot of things in that relationship. And don't make it dependent on whether they deserve it or not. Watch that relationship go from a two to an eight overnight. Thinking about how much you want to please your spouse or your mom and daddy now transfer it over to God. How much do you really, truly want to please God? You know, there's a couple scriptures. Let me just give you one that remind us of this. And then the blessing of it in Hebrews. Hebrews 11.6. He reminds us, and without faith, it is impossible. Wow. God used that word impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hmm. It is not blind faith. Creation declares his glory. He has put eternity in the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl. So it's not blind faith. It's stepping out on faith and believing what he has said. Now, what are the, let me just give you two quick blessings. Does anybody have any enemies here? Hmm. Anybody have any political enemies? Anybody have any medical enemies? Family enemies? Well, the Bible tells us this. In Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Wow. David understood this a lot. He had many enemies because he stood for Yehovah. He stood for him and served him. And so he had many enemies. But God laid all his enemies to rest, and his son was the beneficiary of that. So God said he'll even put your enemies at peace with you. One other one about meeting needs. Mm -hmm. We all want God to meet our needs. 
Well, then get to one of pleasing him. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. And it's not just about money, but it does include money. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. We just explained that about Jonah. He was obedient to God reluctantly. And then he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, and you will abound in every good work. If you put that meter on, God, I desire to be a nine or a ten. Wow. Look out, honestly, for the blessings that would be coming your way if you decide that you want to please God. And, by the way, it's important to please your spouse. Can I give you a good reason? So that he will answer prayers. Now, this is said of the man, but I believe it can be spoken of the woman. In 1 Peter 3, 7. Here's why you want to please your spouse, guys. Your wife or wives want to please their husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Here's the key phrase. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Some of you guys been wanting your prayers answered. You've been wanting that new golf set for your birthday from your spouse. A new pickleball for your birthday paddle. Pickleball paddle. Whatever it is that you Listen, no, I'm having fun, but nailing home a spiritual truth. Many of our prayers are hindered, wives, husbands, because we are not living to please our spouses. And your prayers are being hindered. You can repent of that now. And you can go home. Take your wife out for lunch. Don't take in the McDonald's under the Golden Arch. That's where, my, that's where my wife first took me out on my first date. I thought the guys were supposed to do it. But anyways, we went to the Golden Arch for our, our first actual official outing together. Oh, Mickey D's. He has changed a lot of people's lives. I can tell. Walking in holiness involves pleasing God, and you will not want to listen to the following instructions if your desire and your please meter is not up there. You, you, then you'll take everything he said or is asking you to do in the wrong way. But remember, if you go back to verse 1, there's a lot in verse 1. Finally, brothers, we are instructed or instructing you how to live. And so... <clears throat> Walking in holiness has to be taught. As I said, just naturally observe everybody around you. You will not walk with God. In Romans 10, he reminds us, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Hmm. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Parents, what a privilege you have. I can only tell you, but my wife and I 
sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and some of you have done the same thing over and over and over again, in spite of the mistakes we've made, in spite of the failures that dot the landscape of our marriage, God raised up a generation of priests from our family. He will do the same thing for you. We need to be an example as leaders, by the way. That's something you should expect from your leaders. But God will do the same. But it's not going to happen by accident. You send your kids to school their whole entire life, and they're learning arithmetic, they're learning science, they're learning English. Over, I went to college because, remember, I went back to school with a ninth-grade education at 25 years old. I had to learn math all over again. I had to learn English all over again. I had to learn science with a crazy, nutty professor. And it's really just like in those movies, those little nutty professors, he would stand on the desk and do all kinds of crazy things at Washington Baptist University in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. I had to learn all those things over and over again. <clears throat> so don't think that Sunday morning or when, when our, new, our new student directors come and start <clears throat> sharing truths from God's word, if, if that's all you get, if that's all you get, your children are going to be illiterate in how to walk with God. It needs to be taught in your home. Many of the Bibles are sitting down with collecting dust. Guys, it's got to happen because you are intentional in teaching the ways of God in your home. And isn't it something? It, it, it never stops because notice in verse 1, he said, Lord Jesus, he said, I encourage you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You don't give up. You never give up. You don't stop teaching your kids about God. That's why we always our, when you walk in here, it's about, you didn't notice it maybe when you walked in here in the sanctuary doors over it, it says, living God's way. We need to teach our children. We need to teach ourselves. We need to teach our children how to live God's way. Now, we get to the key. As we observe the model church walk, which involves walking in holiness, which involves pleasing God, walking with God, and now he gets to the heart of a major way in this chapter of pleasing God, and that is found in verse 3. Notice, it is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. Sanctification. Sanctification involves God making you more like his son. Basically, it's a process that began the second you receive Christ as your Savior. And old ways and the old habits are increasingly done away and replaced with new ways that fit the service of God. Now, this is a long and necessary process and much of the New Testament is taken up with the instructions as to how it may be furthered. So Paul lays it down very clearly. Part of the sanctification process involves avoiding sexual sin. Scripture makes it very clear, adults and young people, that people who habitually engage in sexual immorality thereby demonstrate 
that they are not Christians. Notice the key word. What was the key word? Habitually. Another word, live. They don't walk in God's ways. They walk in the world's ways. And so Paul reminds us about the consequences of not listening to this. Do you not know that the unrighteous who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't, by the way, if you think I'm speaking to the choir, George Barner said that over 70% of the people in the church struggle with sexual sins. And I'm just putting it nicely. I'm not going to say anything else about it. So I'll just use one tagline. 70% of the people in the church or listening struggle with sexual sins. And they need to deal with it very quickly. Why? It says, don't be deceived. And notice I get, it's like when I taught my children, when it's speaking on something very, very seriously, you don't teach out of anger. Hellfire, damnation, God's going to come down on you and zap you. And not. I mean, that's not how we teach the word of God. I did grow up with some of that, and it does turn a lot of people off to that. But when I'm teaching, trying to hit home with something very powerful with my kids, it was always, let's get soft. Let's get quiet. Let's let this sink in. And here's what I believe God wants to sink into our minds. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards will inherit the kingdom of God. Is it important that we teach on sexual immorality? To a Christian, the will of God is clear. Holiness and sexual immorality are mutually exclusive. Let me say that one more time. Holiness and sexual immorality are mutually exclusive. God asks you and me to avoid sexual immorality. Let me go down to verse 4, which spells it out, verse 4, 5, and 6. We'll hit these points very quickly. It says, notice in verse 4, that he tells us how to do this. How do you walk with God? Walk in holiness by pleasing him and avoiding sexual immorality. He spells it out clearly so there's no wondering. He said that each of you should learn to control his body in a way that is holy and honorable. Okay, we have to learn to control a lot of things. We have to learn to control our appetite. We have to learn how we can control a car. Some of you have to learn how to control how much you spend on Amazon. I know you like getting those packages delivered to your door every day, but you, you guys need to control that. So we, we have to learn to control our sexual appetite, control our bodies, not let our bodies control us is what God's saying. In the world, they don't care. If it feels good, do it. We know that's the popular cliche that the world uses. He goes on to further tell us about this sexual immorality, not only controlling our bodies, but he says, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Our society is salt and peppered with lust. We know that. It's on the social media. It's on our computers, on our phones, at sporting events. 
where we go eat, everything seems to be salt and peppered with lust. The enemy wants us to lust. And remember what God said about lust. He evened the playing field with those who actually committed adultery and those who just lusted. He said, you're just as guilty as the adulterer. Well, let's get to that, the next verse. Notice, again, this sexual immorality out of control or in control, what it spells. It says in verse 5 that, actually verse 6, and that is this matter that no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. Now, I want to remind you, it's good to have different translations. I'm reading out of the NIV, but in the New Century Commentary, in the New Living Translation, it spells it out a little bit differently. Here's how it reads in a different translation, which is making the point clear. How do you walk with God? By avoiding sexual immorality, by avoiding lust, not letting your body get out of control, and not committing adultery. In verse 6, in the New Living Translation, it says, Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such things as we have solemnly warned you before. Because in context, that's what he's saying, that believers who live for God should not commit adultery. Now pause just for a second. We're almost through. It's always the pastor's privilege to bring good news. And all of us have failed God. All of us. Amen? Remember he said, don't look down your nose because you were once one of them. So don't be arrogant, Christians, and look down your nose as if you've never done anything or never committed any sin or these kinds of sins. Remember, God said, I died for everyone who committed those sins. My blood was shed on the cross to cover those sins. So if you committed adultery in any form or fashion, God will forgive you. We talk about the grace of God. For he said, if you believe in me, he said he will forgive you. He teaches us that. Now we know. Now that's not giving anybody a license to go ahead and engage in these activities. We pay a price for it. And by the way, if you've lusted, don't say to yourself, well, if I lusted and I've committed adultery in Jesus' eyes, I might as well go do the act. That's stupid. Paul would say, stupid. It's like, oh, the Bible says if you hate your brother, you're as guilty as a murderer, right? So what do you say? Well, God, since I'm guilty, I I might as well just go shoot the person. How stupid that would be. There would be a different consequence. There are believers in jail that did just that. They're suffering the consequence. Certainly there's a different consequence if you think something and then you do something. So I'm I'm in no way when I preach grace or teach grace or you teach grace or preach grace. Just remember this. The good news is that God will forgive you no matter what you have done. The cross took care of that, and God will declare you righteous if you believe that a son shed his blood for you. Just remember that. 
There, are, there is a fallout from these sins. Remember that. But God, remember when David committed adultery and had her husband killed? David's life was a wreck after that. He loved God. His throne was passed to his son. His firstborn died. His, his other son committed ancestral relationships with his half-sister. His other son, Absalom, tried to take over the throne. I believe a lot of that had to do with his conduct. So yes, you can take it to the bank that God will forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And yes, you will have a home in heaven. But if you live like this habitually, God is saying you don't belong to him. And you need to repent ASAP before it's too late. A couple more things as we finish this up. It says, okay, no adultery. The Lord will punish you. But for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life in verse 7. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction... These things I'm telling you. Remember, if you don't want to please God, I don't want to hear this. I know I've been golfing with a lot of people, and they tell me how much they love God. Well, I know a businessman that was very well-to-do, very wealthy. He pulled out his phone, and he was showing me all the women that he had. And to me, I didn't look down my nose and judge the man. I just knew there was an inconsistency. How can you tell me how much you love God, and yet you're living in sin? This man ended up committing suicide. Not too long. He had everything, everything, and then he lost everything. There is a consequence to pay. Can you hear God's warning? Now is the time to repent before it's too late. Can you see Jesus' arms open wide in the cross? Come to me. Oh, you are heavy laden. Come, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. And I wrap up with the two positive things as our team comes forward to lead us in our invitational hymn. Walk in holiness and then walk in love. Notice in verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Well, just, be, just before that, let me read verse uh, 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 9. That's the second one. Let me read verse 9. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, do so more and more. Don't say, I love you, but keep an arm distance. Church lefts never develop cliques to where when new people come in that door, they don't walk back out and go, well, I couldn't get to know anybody because everybody was clicks. They just hung around each other. When you see a stranger in the church, it could be Jesus. Do you remember the scripture that tells us that perhaps we might have entertained angels unawarely? So when someone knocks on your door, open up your, your home and be wise in how you open up your door and who you open up to. But you could be entertaining an angel unawarely. Jesus could come to this church and we've seen it depicted in videos as a pauper or a poor person or a smelly person and seeing how we're going to behave ourselves. So do you really love the brethren? Do you really love the body of Christ? How far are you willing to go? Paul said, would you go more and more? Would you love them 
you, you've loved them already, but will you love them even more than you've loved them already is what Paul is asking us. He's encouraging us to love because sometimes we have a limit on our love. We put limitations on our love. And Paul's asking us not to do that. He's asking those Thessalonians, listen, there's, and there's more people coming in that are coming out of the cults, are coming out of the, the pagan tree and coming into the church. Don't look down your nose, church, at new people coming in because they're just coming out of the world and they may smell. They may dress different. They may look different. They may act different. Welcome them with open arms. In a short period of time, you'll discover whether or not they're serious about God or not. I always said this. If a woman comes in this place looking like a prostitute, acting like a prostitute, let her come in. She comes back again the same way. I'm going to scratch my head and go, wait, I need to ask one of the ladies to go out to lunch with her. If she comes back a third time, kick her out of the church because probably, probably she doesn't have the right intentions. You, you understand what I mean? We're going to love the sinner that comes to church. But in time, if they come to meet Jesus, he will change them or they're going to flee from him because they won't be able to stand the heat. He leaves us with this last thing. Walk in holiness to be a model church that has a, a good model walk Walk in holiness, walk in love, and finally he says, walk in diligence. He said in verse 11, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. You see, Paul, when he addressed the Thessalonians, they were taught about the second coming of the Lord. And they were taught it was going to come to pass very soon. And so some of them became busybodies and they became idle. And he had to address that because these people were just coming out of the cold. Get saved. Jesus is coming back any day. That's what they were taught. And in First Thessalonians, he addresses it. And then he further expounds on it in a second letter to these people saying, listen. If a guy or a girl doesn't work, don't pay them. Our government needs to hear what God teaches us. Now, there are people that can't work. We understand that. There are exceptions to the rule. But God teaches us, walk in due diligence. Work hard with your hands so that you don't have to back up in line to collect your paycheck. How is your please meter? Were you able to answer that question? Do you really want to please God? If you do, you'll understand these directions that he's given in only chapter 4. We have a whole Bible that tells us how to walk. Today happened to do with sexual immorality. Many believe there would be revival in the church if we got really serious about this instruction God gave us through the Apostle Paul to avoid sexual immorality. Then we will have a church, a model church's walk that other people would emulate. Would you stand at this time, please? Perhaps God's leading you to make a decision. We were all sinners at one time. Perhaps you're here looking in online or listening. Remember, repent. Repent. 
John the Baptist said this, Jesus said this, repent of your sins and then put your faith in, in the proper person. Not a building, not a church, not a denomination. Put your faith in Jesus alone, in him alone. And he said he would forgive you, the Father would forgive you for his sake because he was a righteous God man that never failed one time. So he was able to provide that perfect sacrifice to atone for your sins and my sins. Boy, have I gone to the cross many times and took advantage of what God has told you and me to do. But perhaps you need to do it for the first time. He said, if you will do that, I will adopt you in my family. You'll have a guaranteed a home in heaven. He said, he will give you the Holy Spirit right now. You need the Holy Spirit because remember, it's the Holy Spirit that causes you to hunger and thirst after him. And that's our testimony who believe. Wow, we thirsted for the world. We invited Jesus into our life. And all of a sudden, we thirsted for God. That's impossible for a human being to do that. But with God, all things are possible. He will change your life. He will cause you to hunger to learn about Jesus. He will cause you to hunger to live for the kingdom of God because death is knocking. We're not getting younger. We're getting older. Day by day, week by week, month by month. Take advantage of that. And then I leave you with this. If you're a believer here and you have been dibble-dabbling in the Ouija boards or the sexual sins, repent of that now so that you can make adjustments, tweak your life. That's what sanctification is all about. God's not disappointed. He just wants you to agree with him and he'll help you walk that walk. Perhaps you could come up here and pray. And remember, when you pray, if you pray, that doesn't mean you're a bad sinner. <laughs> We've all messed up. In fact, I'll go on my knees now to lead the way. Perhaps you'll come front and just say, God, I wanna get serious about my life with you. And I wanna get serious about pleasing you and pleasing my spouse or pleasing my parents. Would you come as God leads you this morning? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.